I'd like to pray for Laura and um, she shares the word with us. So I just thank you so much for your word that reveals to us who you are and how you want us to relate to you. Lord, I thank you for um, the opportunity you have that so many would long to have to come together and remember your resurrection and celebrate it and honor it. Lord, um, yeah, just think about our brothers and sisters all around the world who are suffering, that they know what, it, what today means. Lord, be with them and comfort them. So I will commit Laura to you, Lord. I pray that um, she will be a very um, effective instrument in your hands, Lord. pray that you will just um, give her the wisdom, the guidance that she needs. And most of all, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are receptive to your word. And that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. In true teacher fashion, over there there are coloured pencils and um, pens and things like that. Um, so each of you will need to grab, and I don't know if someone wants to help hand out. Um, so each of you will need to grab uh, a verse. There's a bunch of mixed up verses here, but sort of Easter related. And then there's also this sheet. Someone wants to help hand out. Right? Some teachers helpers. But, um, so each new verse and one of these now. <laughs> oh, okay. Take one, pass one along. Take one, pass one along. Yeah, there's, so there's colour pencils. If you feel like colouring in that pretty little, not quite beautiful colouring um, sheets, there's colour pencils here. And if you want something you can write with, there are other Thoughts. Um, and then 
I was reminded that, um, well, after 15, 20 minutes of class and I didn't actually need my phone and things were going okay, I was reminded that I left that behind and I was free of it and rather than being anxious about it, I was actually, I experienced this sense of relief that I wasn't, I wasn't tied to my phone, I didn't need to, to go and grab it and I didn't need to look at it and I wasn't bound to checking my newsfeed or, you know, responding to messages that was really, really liberating. Um, so, on that note, the first thing I would love to ask you to do is just to quickly think about um, something that, whether, whether willingly or not, whether you're drag speaking and streaming, something that Jesus has helped you to leave behind or that you are leaving behind, something of your old self that you have you know, in your walk you have left behind or that you are learning to leave behind. So whether it's, you know, a, a tendency to feel like you need to um, be attached to your phone and your security is in that, or whether it's um, security in your finances, whether it's um, some kind of addiction, maybe it's uh, some kind of tendency to quick anger or Whatever it is, if you could just think of something, you don't have to write it down, um, you can though. Just something that in your time walking with Jesus, he has helped you to leave behind. And that you can, when you think about it, you can feel the lightness of it as a result of leaving it behind. So just 60 seconds to think about that. You don't have to share it at Yeah. 
Okay, um, so just that uh, little flower sheet that you have that you may be colouring or not, um, I just wanted to read uh, a small section or a, a slightly larger section that um, comes around it. So it's from Psalm 39 um, and verse 4 to 7. Um, this is David. I'm speaking to the Lord. Uh, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each one of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Um, you're the one you've got in your paper looks a little bit different. Two of those words don't quite match what I've said, and uh, we'll come to that later, so don't worry. Um, so today, uh, what I wanted to look at a little bit is just hope. One word, hope. I couldn't think of a fancy title. Hope. Um, so what hope is, and is it, um, and I'm talking about biblical hope, where your hope is, pardon? Yeah, biblical hope, not the, not the worldly stuff. Um, uh, sorry, so what, your, what hope is, where your hope is, why it matters, and why Jesus is hope. So the first one, uh, what is hope? Uh, hope is one of those things, um, sometimes it's really easy to define and sometimes it seems really tricky to put into words. We kind of have an understanding of what hope is and most of us probably can think of at least one time, if not multiple times, where we've actually felt um, that a sense of hope. But hope is a bit more than a feeling. Sometimes hope is a choice that we make. Sometimes hope seems really illogical and it completely flies, it flies in the face of the reason and the circumstance that you find yourself in. At times, hope is the last thing that you are desperately clinging on to. And other times, hope is this contagious thing um, and it can't be contained. Um, if you are a dictionary type person, um, so hope can be uh, being wanting something to happen or to be the case, a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen, um, to expect with confidence, or an optimistic state of mind that's based on the expectation of positive outcomes in relation to events and circumstances in one's life or the world. When I was thinking about hope, uh, these are some of the things that came to mind and I hope they're helpful. Um, we'll see how we go. Um, so the first one that came to mind was hope is a little bit like a baby. What you put it in matters. Um, so it's a precious thing. And many people say that hope is one of the only crucial elements for healthy and happy human existence. And if hope is indeed as precious as a baby, then you kind of want to be careful, um, not just to whack it in any old contraption um, or just to put it down somewhere and go away and leave it and come back later and not worry about it. That would be bad parenting. Um, there is a way of thinking that says, if nothing else, you should invest money in what separates you from the ground. Anyone heard that one before? 
invest money in what separates you from the ground. No, okay, maybe it's just me then. Um, but the, the idea is that, you know, uh, shoes separate your feet from the ground, so, you know, buying a good pair of shoes or a bed is between you and the ground, buy it and invest in a good bed for the long term. You know, it's going to help your back and stuff. Um, the car that you drive and the tyres that you put on the car, what one do you get in that as it separates you from the ground? Um, before Elijah was born, um, Gareth and I discovered that uh, prams, car seats and other baby stuff were apparently also on that list um, and they cost far too much money. Uh, so people at Baby Bunting Pen have pretty much smelled us coming from across the outside of the car park as first time to be parents um, and they probably had dollar signs all in their eyes. Um, and as soon as you walk in, I just remember being bombarded with all of these different options with massive price tags, and I couldn't tell one from the next. Um, and you find out that apparently there are things that you need to think about that you didn't even know to think about. Um, and there's something, I guess, there's something as important as the safety of your firstborn child. Um, it kind of does matter what car seat you put them in. Um, when you are navigating the potholes that are on our roads and the crazy other drivers that we share the road with um, and all the other dangers and uh, things on the road, I was uh, absolutely horrified when I saw recently some photos of the different things that used to qualify as child safety restraints. Um, you used to be able to just put a kid in the middle seat next to you in a booster seat, which kind of looked a bit more like a swing. A swing. Um, you could just chuck a bit of bassinet, have them there next to you, or good, no problem. Um, my cop used to talk about an old car that he had, um, and the back seats of the car were milk crates. And so my mum and auntie spent a, spent a good amount of their time um, being driven around, sitting on milk crates with the seatbelts kind of, you know, somewhere there. Um, so yeah, not so great, not so great. Um, in the same way, when we as Christians are navigating the difficulties of this narrow road that we're meant to follow Jesus along, what you put your hope in really does matter. Um, another one that came to mind was, and through my read, hope is a bit like a rope. What it is tied to matters, as does what your rope is actually made out of. Um, so I am not the outdoor adventure type person. I know shock horror. Um, I've not climbed a mountain. I haven't sailed down a cliff. Um, the closest I've come is a term of, uh, you know, indoor rock climbing when I was like 14. Um, I can tell you one thing I reflected on was that you really had to put a lot of faith in the person at the rock climbing centre that was the, the supervisor. Um, you had to, or I had to at least, trust that the supervisor there knew the equipment and had tested the equipment, including the rope and the pulley system, to make sure that it didn't have any faults, didn't have any defects, because otherwise there were going to be not so great consequences. Um, Better still, for my confidence, was seeing that supervisor using the very same rope and pulleys and carabiners and climbing wall that I was going to use and going and actually doing it and seeing that, yep, yeah, tried and tested, 
it's it's okay, I can actually take a leap here and actually do that myself. And I like to think that that is a vote in favour of Jesus as the surest hope that there ever was. So a bit like that supervisor who tested all those things before me and climbed up ahead of me and demonstrated it, Jesus used all of the equipment in his spiritual arsenal. Prayer, truth from scripture, faith in the Father that he cultivated a different personal relationship with, fellowship, and so on, to scale that mountain that I could never hope to climb on my own. When he conquered it, and conquered he did, he demonstrated the way and became the most empathetic, understanding, qualified instructor imaginable. So in Hebrews 12 verse 2 it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So like that supervisor, he is the one that went before us and he did it and he tested it. He, he faced all of those things and he conquered it. So we have someone in whose footsteps, whose reliable footsteps we can actually follow. Um, but I'm getting apparently a bit distracted on that one. Um, so in the Bible, uh, specifically the Old Testament, one way hope is understood is tied to the idea, get it, rope, tied, tied to the idea of a rope. Um, so unlike some of the common criticism that um, we as believers sometimes feel, um, biblical hope, our hope in the Lord is not a fluffy, pie-in-the-sky kind of feeling that we have. Um, it's not this clueless, mindless sense of optimism that we just have. It's not a baseless dream of things that we kind of might want things to be like. Um, it's about a real anticipation for something better, something that we truly, to our cause, believe that is coming. So one of the Hebrew words for hope, kava, on that sheet there, kava, um, the word kav is actually tied to the idea of rope. So kava is the word, one of the words for hope, and it's it's bound to this image of a rope that's pulled and held really tightly in tension. There's that tension and expectation and you're just waiting for something to happen. And when that rope snaps, that's when you get that release, that thing that you expected to happen. So cover, lack of rope, it's that tension, that hope, that, um, that feeling of expectation that you have while you're waiting for something to happen. Um, and there's another word, Hebrew word for hope, and that's yakal, the second one you've got. And it means to wait or to trust. So generally speaking, when we think about trust in a human sense, um, trust is something that you earn. Um, and in the case of your Carl hope, that kind of trust or waiting hope, it's something that's directed at us someone. So trusting in our faith, trusting and hoping in the Lord. So quite unlike you guys have seen those industry super fund ads. There's always that little disclaimer at the end that says um, uh, that you know past performance cannot predict future outcomes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in this case, trusting in the Lord, the hope that we have in in Him is fully based on past performance and the fact that what God has done in past fully predicts and demonstrates that his promises can be trusted and his promises will come to fruition in the end. They will be fulfilled. God is a covenant God, a God that keeps all of his promises irrespective of whether we keep our end up.
or not. Um, so that little flower that you've got there, um, when we think about hope, hope can be, if you want to write these down, pebbles, hope can be about trust, or that's another word you can use, trust. It can be waiting, so they that wait on the Lord, they that hope in the Lord, so trust, waiting, it can be anticipation, so anticipating what is to come and what you know is going to come. Um, it can be about expectation, um, and it can be about the past informing or yeah, informing how we look to the future. Uh, so, in the vein of the the um, super ads, we shall compare the pair. Um, so, hope in the world, worldly hope. Um, I thought of it a bit like carrying, so you're walking through the desert and you have a precious little amount of water and putting your water, your hope in a sieve or a cardboard box or even your own hands. That's what worldly hope is a bit like. Um, so worldly wisdom would probably tell us that the best place to invest our time and our energy and all of our other resources is in tangible, concrete, perceivable things which are mostly focused on the outside. So if you pour yourself into these things, then you will find fulfillment, you will find happiness, ultimate joy. Uh, does anyone remember the old Aussie homeowners? There were Aussie homeowners, I know, right? I had to remind myself. Aussie homeowners, there was a tagline that the guy used to say. Yeah. We'll save you. At Aussie Home Loans, we'll save you, right? And I was thinking about that. And the more I thought about it, the more I was troubled by this image of all of the worldly idols and all of the places that we put our hope into, our worldly hope into, jostling for attention, like like the Wall Street like stock exchange brokers, all there with their papers and their titles, and they're running around like mad, and they're all trying to buy for attention, and they're screaming, we'll save you. Um, so by distracting you from that little subconscious, intuitive knowledge that we all have in here that we're all broken and we're all missing something, even if we can't say what it is, but all of those things are trying to yell at us, no, we'll feel it, we'll save you distracting us from it and it reminds me a little bit of a, um, a lady called Alex who was one of the Jan Camp um, senior studies leaders and she, the way she put it was everyone's got a God shaped hole and all of these worldly things are like trying to shove in and plug that God shaped hole with pieces that don't actually really fit and they don't actually fill that hole um, so things that we can put our hope in in this world um, friends, how many do you have? What are they like? Do they affirm you and support your every whim? Um, do you have friends that you've known since you know since you were one or something? The thing about friends is, it, they think friendships can go really bad, um, but sometimes they just they just fade, and not through any particular wrongdoing, but they just fade. So putting hope in hope in something that can just doesn't seem logical to me, although just, you know, uh, none of these things are inherently wrong in and of themselves. I love my friends. Friends are great. Friendship is wonderful. 
but it is not where we should be putting our ultimate hope for fulfillment and for joy and for satisfaction. Um, family. We are led to believe that if we find our perfect partner um, and we build our dream family with them, that's where we're going to find fulfillment. Um, that's where we're going to, to get our meaning from and our purpose from. And so I guess it's no wonder where, that people are really sorely disappointed and disillusioned when families don't always work and relationships don't always work. Um, sometimes the going gets tough and the pressure, uh, the human brokenness, the sin creeps in and it just takes the thing that was really ultimately meant for God's glory. Um, beauty and strength. Put our hope in beauty and strength and they are things that fade like flowers, like grass. They wither and fade and it's barely a blip on the map. Our abilities and gifts. There is always going to be someone who is more talented, more gifted, more able than you however hard you might try, that's something I need to learn. Um, and it's okay that that's the case. But if we put our worth and our hope in being the best at something um, or being talented, it's going to fall short pretty quickly. Um, accolades and acclaim and all of the you know positive attention, they come and go, okay? Um, approval, and this is something I really struggle with, the approval of people. Um, it's a really tiring, really basically impossible task to um, please everyone and to get everyone's approval. And it is just this black hole of energy and, and effort and emotion to try and work purely for the approval of people. Um, your reputation, a bit like a house of cards, it takes such... Um, carefulness and time to actually build a house of cards and in a tiny instant, a tiny motion, it all comes crashing down again. Your reputation is very fragile um, and try as you might, uh, a single photo or a single message or a single whisper or a rumour can just bring it crashing down. Uh, your wealth. Um, I don't know, I haven't lived, you know, through a Great Depression or anything, but, you know, global financial crisis and all that. It doesn't take more than a moment, the blink of an eye, for stupid amounts of money that I can't even comprehend, billions, trillions of dollars just to go like that. So if you're putting your hope in wealth and it can be taken you in an, taken from you in an instant like that, that, you know, water in the sea, if you water in your hands, it's just going to go. Um, your health. I have been learning this over the last, you know, however many years I've had children, three years, four years, that health is not something you can rely on. Um, children are petri dishes, children go and spend time in daycare with other petri dishes that are full of germs and they share them and they bring them home and they share them with one another and then you get on, get on this endless round about the sickness. Even young, healthy youths in the prime of their life cannot rely on health to be sure and to be stable. Um, intelligence. There's no one that holds all of the knowledge in the world and uh, or even a good proportion of it really. Um, and you know when Job is having that conversation with God and he's crying out that it, you know he's been afflicted with all these things and it's unjust and why and it takes just a few you know things for God to point out you don't know 
bits. You don't know how this works, and you don't understand this part. And were you there when this was created and put together? And quickly, Job, in reminded that his wisdom and all his knowledge is like a tiny thimble of water in all of the oceans of the world. It is nothing compared to God. Uh, human goodness, putting your hope in human goodness. You only need to spend just a fraction of time on this earth um, to know that human goodness is at its best pretty frail um, and it's changed by sin. It doesn't take much to see that. And human leaders, um, even the best ones, even the best leaders, whether you're, you know, whatever side of politics you're on, whatever, um, it's often said of um, kings, queens, monarchs, government leaders, that they're out of touch. They don't get it. They don't know what it's like to be an ordinary person. So how can we trust that they'll make the best decisions for us? How can we hope in them? Because they have no idea. They're completely out of touch with reality. The message of Easter is that there is something, or rather someone, in which our hope isn't actually misplaced. So unlike hope built on the shifting sands of things like wealth and health and power and, you know, whatever, friends, family, relationships that are unreliable and unpredictable and are passing away, actually, um, there is a hope that is a firm foundation, a rock of ages on which we can build our lives. One that is steadfast, one that is sure, one that's built on the foundation of unfailing love and faithfulness. The biblical hope that we have is grounded in God, not on optimism or man. So optimism is about choosing um, to see how circumstances, however terrible they might be, um, that they could possibly work out for the best. Biblical hope isn't about circumstances. In fact, people in the Bible who yakal or kaval often recognise that there's no human way that anything about their circumstances is going to get better and they choose to hope in God anyway. They don't see with their eyes how things can get any better but they choose to hope not in circumstances, not in men, but in the God who stretched out his hand to rescue them in the past from impossible circumstances, and a God who has faithfully fulfilled his promises time and time again. That's biblical hope. And, you know, Easter, our hope in Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is God's that it is the power of God. To some people, the message of Easter and the message of salvation and Jesus' death and resurrection is utter foolishness. It makes no sense at all. So the arguments go something like, oh, he's not special. He's just another wise guy that came and taught some good things, but that's it. Or there's no logic in it. A guy coming back to life after three days of being dead and buried, yeah, right? Um, if he was really God, why didn't he just get himself down off the cross and save himself? Why didn't he just overpower with his, you know, mind tricks to convince the, the, the religious leaders? Um, oh, I believe in Jesus if he 
did this for me or changed that for me or show me this sign, show me this, you know, God um, demonstrating that he's real by doing this thing that I ask. Um, why would you put your hope in someone who doesn't answer your prayers on demand? You ask for this thing and you didn't get it. What more evidence do you need that this Jesus guy, just a little fairy story, um, he's not relevant today where we know and understand so much more. We have science, we have modern medicine, we have no place for these superstitions and fairy tales anymore. Oh, Jesus isn't for me, he doesn't fit with my life, he doesn't fit with my beliefs, I don't need that crutch. Or, you know, Jesus is a little bit uncomfortable. He, He says things and he lives out things that don't really mesh with me and what I feel good about and what I feel comfortable about. So, you know, Jesus isn't really for me. Many people who refuse to put their hope in God level all sorts of accusations at him that he is neglectful, that he's unjust, that he's indifferent. Why trust in a God who isn't good, who doesn't care, who ignores suffering, who's a guilty participant, even an instigator of suffering? Why put your hope in a God who sits up there, above it all, completely removed and unmoved? What would God know of death and loss and pain and betrayal and heartache and poverty and despair and fear, the the stuff that I feel? What would a God up there that's so far removed, what would he know about my stuff, my suffering? If that's the case, if God is far removed and he's up there and he doesn't care and he's not in it, why does Hebrews 4.15 say that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin? God is with us. Emmanuel, in the flesh, fully human, fully vulnerable to every form of suffering and trial that we as weak people are subject to. So poverty, he was a refugee in a foreign land. His father was a humble carpenter. Oh, earthly father, sorry. Um, fear. As a little, a little one being pursued by people seeking your life for no particular, particularly just reason. Jesus experienced thirst and hunger. He was far, he fasted for days on end in the barrenness of a desert, and I'm sure that he was quite hungry and quite thirsty by the end of it. He wasn't immune to any of that stuff. He experienced heartache when he looked out and he saw all of the people who were caught in their sin who were and are oppressed by the very ones charged with spiritually shepherding the flock for the lost and the hurting and the broken and the hopeless. Jesus experienced loss, a lot of loss, but one specific example, his dear friend Lazarus. Despite knowing that in the next moment what he was going to do, Jesus still wept and he still felt a great sense of sadness at the loss of his friend. Betrayal. We know the story, right? He was handed over by the treachery and duplicity of someone that he held dear, someone that he invited into his inner circle, his inner life, someone that he loved, someone that he taught, someone that he poured into, someone that he called friend. 
was portrayed by. The injustice of a sinless, blameless man being subjected to the accusations and the, the vilification and all of those things. His reputation, his name smeared with all sorts of things that sprung up from the hearts of people who had evil intention. The pain that we feel. He felt all things that we humans do. He felt cold, he was thirsty, he felt hungry. He was on more than one occasion exhausted. And then once he was handed over, all sorts of horrible deprivation and torture were committed against his fully human, fully feeling, fully vulnerable body. And his death the most, one of the cruelest, most painful possible ways to die. Unjust, but fully willing. That is So biblical hope. Whatever brokenness is in our life, there is someone, Jesus, who completely and fully understands it, right to his very core. Jesus. The God who left the glory and the splendor and the perfection of heaven, fully knowing what lay ahead for him, and he came anyway to do for us what we could never hope to do. Not just for the undeserving, but for the unrepentant, for those who are hard of heart, for those who are corrupted, for those who are wayward, for those who are lost. Jesus, the once-for-all sacrificial lamb who took on the punishment and the fate, the penalty owed to us all. Because of Jesus, our great high priest, the one who understands every human weakness and every human temptation, the one who took that all with him to the grave and then conquered it by rising again on the third day, because of him, we can approach God's throne with grace and with confidence, or of grace with confidence, so that we can receive mercy and we can find grace that will help us in our time of need. Um, and I found this little uh, graph here. It says, Christian hope, or biblical hope, is a bold hope that looks back for us looking back in history to the risen Jesus in order to look forward, in order to inform the way we look ahead of us. It's not just about having an unfounded, baseless optimism that everything's just going to work out. Okay? It's a hope that's founded and grounded and anchored like a rope to the work, the life, the person of Jesus that creation cannot, will not stay how it is forever. And that is the greatest hope of all. Happy Easter. What a joy. Happy Easter. Yeah. 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 Um, oh yes, sorry, those um, 
those little verses there, I don't know if you want to do this, it's okay to say no, but there are just um, some little verses there that I thought, if we read them, they might, they might say something to us, um, they might help us reflect a little bit more on Easter and on um, Jesus and what Easter really actually means. Don't have to, but yeah, maybe you might want to read that little, that little verse, that little snippet and see if it says something to you that we might want to, to just reflect on the issue.